Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Winners of the East London Challenge Cup soon after their formation in 1885. The old Millwall Rovers are now known to their roaring supporters as the last. Ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting from beautiful South Bermondsey, this is Achtung Millwall. Huge welcome on the show, a very special guest. Welcome back to Jimmy Webb, our Perth, Western Australia correspondent. Welcome back, Jim. Thanks, Nick. Hi, everyone. How you doing? It's um, International Brute Weekend, Jim. And I was just, before I gave you a call this morning, um, I was just looking, Australia are actually in with a chance of um, World Cup qualification, aren't they? So, uh, yeah, so what happened is this... this... This, this morning Australia time, so I think it'll be Friday night your time. Yeah, uh, they, uh, there's a two-legged playoff against Honduras. Uh, the uh, away leg was in Honduras this morning. Okay, and uh, Australia drew nil-nil away to Honduras. Fantastic. Um, so- the second leg is Wednesday night in Sydney. Right. Uh, which, as it happens, I'm flying over from Perth, which, uh, if you think that's only a 10-minute flight, it's a, it's a five-hour flight. I'm taking five my hours. boy who's just finished school now, so wow. he's left school. And I, just, I jokingly said, when they played, Australia played Syria, and, and I just jokingly said to my boy, oh, if they get through this, do you fancy going to the, uh, the, the, the you know, the, the home leg for the Australia game? And, and yeah. he went, yeah, all right, which sort of... <laughs> I'm hoping to meet up with um, Chris, who's uh, milled down under okay. in Sydney on Wednesday night, and have a have a couple of a uh, couple of beers with him. Nice and, uh, Hopefully, watch Australia beat Honduras and qualify for the for the World Cup. Because, quite honestly, it, it's what this country needs. Fantastic. I mean, all, all the best to the Socceroos. Um, I think it's fantastic to see the rise of Australian football, as we would call it, of course. Generally, yeah. um, you know, obviously tradition. I'm just looking at the other sports uh, contests in in Perth soon, Jim. I mean, you've got the the third Ashes Test at the Wacker in in um, in December, uh, and also at the moment rugby league going on. There's a World Cup going on out there, mate, isn't there? So it's just nice to see, you know, it's nice to yeah, see football England, rise, you know. Yeah, well, England England are actually playing on Sunday night in Perth. I'm hoping to uh, go along to to watch that. So uh, the wonderfully named Perth Rectangular Ground, according to Wikipedia. Yeah, the, the, or, or as the locals know it, NIB Stadium, but because of advertising <laughs> things like that, it's Perth Rectangular Stadium. So, <laughs> what a wonderful name! Yeah, <laughs> yeah we've also got the Ashes coming up as well, and I'll be at the uh, I'll be at the Wacker for the uh, for the Test match as well, and. I'm not too optimistic, to be perfectly honest, with yeah. the cricket. So, um, Between, but, hey, you never know. You never know. Between you and me, neither am I. Not for the rugby league much out there. I think it's, it's got Australia written all over it. And, and I'll make you right about the cricket too, but, uh, Jim. It's, um, I think we're up against it, but there we are. 
<laughs> so that's, that's, the, that's the joys of being an England fan. I, I was in the pub last night watching England play Germany in a friendly, and it was um, one of those games where your eyes flick up to the screen and flick away every so often because it just really was nothing to hold your interest in it. So, um, was, was, was that the Millwall, be- uh, the, uh, the England B team, wasn't it? From, from looking at the uh, B team, C team, I think. Yeah, C team, yeah. So, names in there that he's struggling to not wonder who they are. Unfamiliar, but there we are. That's, that's, that's England these days. Um, Big, you know, big thank you to Jim. He's come on the show because we're going to revive the randomizer uh, section, which is very popular. Jim, um, this is where we, I, I do like a random search of years of years gone past, and people really like it. People really enjoyed it, and it's nice to get you back on. Because I know that um, you, you took your archive of Millwall material out there to, to West, Western Australia, <laughs> a lone outpost there. People have got their entire Millwall collection in Australia. <laughs> there we are. You're, you're our claim to fame, mate. So we've, we've got um, basically we've got three matches from the past for listeners today. Um, in, um, in 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 time order, 121 years ago, we we've gone for a game in 1896, uh, Swindon Town two, Mill five. Then we'll switch on to 1950, 67 years ago, uh, for an away defeat at Forest, Nottingham Forest two, Mill nil. And then much more recently, one of from your and my era, uh, Jim, in 1987, 30 years ago, another loss, sadly, uh, Mill won AFC Bournemouth 2 at the Den. Um, so three, three widespread fixtures for us to run through there, mate. Um, uh, Mr. Randy O'Miser obviously likes 86, 87, because the last time we was on, we did 86, 87 as well. So yeah. but it's quite a special... Here, I suppose, so I'll forgive it for that. Yeah, we don't mind. I mean, actually, uh, just to be be clear, I, I go on, there's like a random number generator online, so I just type in, you know, between 1 and um, 1885, however many years, I think 127 years ago, and it, it, that does seem to throw up, I wonder how random it really is. Maybe it knows when Mill's best seasons were, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So anyway, 1896, Jim, um, Swindon Town 2, Millwall Athletic, I would think, at that time, 5, uh, an away fixture at the county grounds, um, 7th of November, 1896. Um, My first fact, which I've picked out, and and, um, I don't know what you've got on it, but uh, the county ground in Swindon. You, you, you must have been down there in your time, Jim. Um, Swindon. Oh, yeah, a few times now. Yeah. So nice. Yeah, no, I got fields off. Always rings a bad memory for Swindon. That's right. Yeah, yeah, fields off. That's right. That was that was the playoff down there, wasn't it? So nice. Oh, little... The league, no, league, the league cup. I think it was a league cup quarter final game. Quarter final. Excuse me. That's right. And that was the. That was the, that was the quote where Mick McCarthy said that if he meant that he was going to bear his arse in Burton. <laughs> Thankfully, he never had to do that. <laughs> It's a nice little ground. I like Swindon. It's it's one of those um, real English grounds. Um, previously, it's a, proper, it's a proper ground. That's a, was it a ten minute walk from the station from yeah, memory? So well, it's absolutely perfect. You know, you could be home in two hours. Railway town, isn't it? Swindon, big junction. Mm-hmm. Um, cricket pitch next door to it, which apparently was where um, I think this must be the county ground because previously played at the cricket pitch next door, which is also known as. Uh, the, the county ground, Wiltshire County ground, um, but in 1896 it looks like, to my reading, and listeners can correct me, any any nerds out there can correct me, this will be the county ground as we as we know it today. Um, interesting game in some ways, Jim. Um, five two to the to well the Dockers. There wouldn't have been the Lions at that point, would they? Yeah, the Dockers. Yeah, two two at half time, and then a magnificent three goals in the second half. So um... yeah, um, middle goal scorers. Um, Mackenzie, I don't know his first name, sadly. I think it's John Calvey. Um, Gettin, yeah. Gettins, um, who's a Jay Gettins. I think it might be, uh, I'm guessing a John, I don't know. And then Davis, uh, for two goals in the second half. Um, no substitutions in that era, of course. No substitutions, no. And, and John, John Calvey was a bit of a bit of a decent centre-forward by all accounts because uh, I don't know if you noticed in the next game, which was at home to... Wolverton. Wolverton, absolutely. Millwall, Millwall won 12-0 and he scored five of them. And that, that is our record win. Um, obviously, the, the 9-1 is always listed in as, as, the, as the biggest football league win, Jim. Mm. 
but that goal, that result there you've picked out is right. That's that's Mill Mill Athletic twelve, Wolverton, which I think is is out near Northampton, out that way somewhere, I believe. Um, is that, well, bow to your knowledge on that one. So. Yeah, I, I think, I'm sure I've seen it driving around. Um, so yeah, a twelve nil win in front of five thousand, and that would have been played um, on the Isle of Dogs at that time. Yeah, it would be. Um, and I think again, if my research is is correct uh, that we played at a place called the athletic ground on the isle of dogs which is right by the side of cross harbour uh dockland railway station and i think there's an asda on the site now so that would be where the the athletic ground was um and a huge stadium um i, I think it held upwards of 40 or fifty thousand in its time it's all completely gone there you, you'll see no no trace of the athletic ground at all um but yeah, uh, poor, poor old Wolverton must have been rubbish that year because we actually <laughs> beat them six away from home. And, and I was just just doing some looking at the final table there. Wolverton played twenty one two, lost eighteen. That's a mirror of a season. <laughs> scored seventeen, conceded seventy four. So uh, I don't think their defeat was up to much. No, no, I, th- I think they, they, they had a rough rough time of it. Um, any any kind of twelve nil loss has got to be a, a searing experience. That was on the fourteenth of November, so. Game I've chosen is on the seventh, so one week later we've stuffed Wolverton twelve nil. Um, just looking at some of the the, the, the details, it's Joe Davis, not John. John, I think I said Joe, jo, Joe Davis. Um, Fifty four appearances for Millwall in eighteen ninety six to nineteen uh, eighteen ninety eight. Fifty four appearances, twenty eight goals. That's quite a, quite a nice little scoring record, isn't it? And jo, Joe Davis, obviously, you know, he scored he scored in that game. But I've just just having a quick look. The following season, yeah. October the fourth, Wolverton at home, Millwall one nine one, Joe Davis scored six. <laughs> free scoring, wasn't it? It was free scoring then. Um, I mean, I've lined up the team here. I'll read through the team in, in a moment. Um, I put them in four four two formation. That's nonsense. They wouldn't have been lined up in four four two. I imagine it was probably two three five in them. Well, I would think. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, again, the, the story of the tactics of football is, is a, an interesting um, thing in its own right because I think when when the game very first began in the eighteen seventies, they would literally line up as two lines opposite each other and. They would dribble like like school kids um, football. They'd try and dribble, and then someone would lose it, and they'd all retreat or advance. Um, under eight game, yeah, and under eight game, everyone's surrounding the ball. Um, so yeah, I, th- I would think you're right, Jim. Two, three, five. I would think so. In goal, we've got Carter. I don't know his first name. Um, so on the two, three, five, um, I, I'm guessing the fullbacks would be Jay Graham. I've got number two, and D Robson at number three. Um, what would they have been? They'd have been they the centre half, um, half backs. They would have been called. Half backs, wouldn't they be in those? Yeah. Um, when I started school, it was in the ancient history of uh, the nineteen sixties at our Castlecombe Primary School. Where the, our teacher was committed to two, three, five, and he used to hand out um, bibs with these positions on it. So there would have been a centre half. I'm guessing would have been a chap called. Were they taken from the netball team? <laughs> <laughs> I think they might well have been, mate. <laughs> um, centre half, I'm guessing, be H. Robertson. Halfbacks, I'm going to guess now a little bit, listeners. Apologies. A G. King and an H. Matthew. Then the midfield, there would have been wing, wing backs, wouldn't there? The wing backs in midfield. To, I can't well, How? How? 21st century. Yeah. Um, and, and then, um, I can't remember, left half, um, right half, centre forward and inside forward. I suppose you had all those roles. So. Um, Gettins would have been I've got him as a winger I don't know where he would have played uh, and, and Joe Davis on the other wing I've put him there Calvi I'm guessing would be in the midfield I'm guessing one of the um, uh, wing, wing wing halves wing backs I can't remember how they described them there Jim uh, Joe, Joe, I'll just read Joe, Joe Davis I've just found out as well come the first was the club's first international player when he played for Wales against England in March 1897 yeah Welshman yeah um, and, and quite as I say quite a nice scoring record um so up front, I've put A. Geddes, and, and um, it's A. McKenzie. I don't know where I've got that from, um, scribbling through there. Um, just one interesting side point. Um, our goalkeeper, previous goalkeeper, I'm guessing to Carter, was a chap called, um, quite a famous chap in mill terms, a chap called Obed, O-B-E-D, Kagil, that's spelled C-A-Y-G-I-L-L. He was a goalkeeper at um, on the Isle of Dogs in those days. He broke his leg. <laughs> And as as a kind of like a post playing career, I guess he started producing an alternative uh, match day program called 
all spelt with K. It's K Gill's Correct Card. K Gill's Correct. That's K R E C T. Card with a K. K K K. Um. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> How, 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 how politically incorrect could you get? Um, and Cahill's correct card was like a, I don't know if it's like a fanzine, but it was like an alternative team listing with, with his own notes rather than an actual match day programme. Um, bizarre. That, that, that be... maybe, maybe Nick Hart was the born-again person. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there we are, Cahill's correct card. On, on a wider, what was going on in the world more generally, well... 1896, I don't think Australia existed as an entity at that point, uh, Jim. I think um, there were still separate um, colonies, I, I suppose Western Australia, Perth, Swan River Colony I've written down here. Um, um, so that, I think Australia unified in 1901. So in 1896, Australia did not exist as we know it now. I'm still sending convicts out at that time. <laughs> I think they'd stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're still doing it now. <laughs> Um, first Olympics were held in 1896, Jim, in, in Athens. In Athens, yeah. Yeah, very first of the modern Olympics. Um, and in the USA, there was a presidential election. William McKinley was voted in as, as US uh, president at that time. Um, and one, one side point, totally um, abstract, but um, one thing I did find out about November 1896, uh, the very first image of, of a woman's bare breasts appeared in the National Geographic magazine jim and it was a zulu woman native native zulu woman there we are the, the sun the sun eat your heart out that's where it all began how, how daring <laughs> daring so there we are that's our that's our 1896 121 years ago a different world in 1896 but our mill athletic existed and they won at swindon five to in front of three thousand people um not very many. Yeah, the numbers were all a bit of an estimate in them days, weren't they? So uh, I think they were an estimate because they, they always rounded round to the zero. So you know, it was, it's never an exact science. I don't think at those times. No, they were always rounded down to avoid tax. <laughs> well, funny enough, we'll, we'll come on. We'll, we'll have a little break now for the uh, for the randomizer uh, hook, and then we'll come back on our next game, which will link in with what Jim's just um, talking about, which is in 1950. Randy. Welcome back, dear listeners. Um, we're just talking about fiddle, Jim, weren't we? <laughs> a famous, the famous mill pursuit of a bit of fiddle, um, especially where turnstiles are concerned. Um, this, it does link in with our next, um, our next um, game, and I'll, I will develop that point in a bit. But anyway, um, just leave that out there for the moment. So next game to talk about with Jimmy Webb out there in Perth is a defeat. Nottingham Forest 2, Millwall nil in the 3rd Division South, Jim. Um, 4th, of, uh, 4th of November 1950, uh, in front of 33,000 at uh, at the city ground, that would have been, wouldn't it? That would have been, I'm sure, that good the city ground, yeah. Yeah. Um, at the time of this game, um, Millwall was 2nd in the table, according to the Millwall History site, which I must give a plug for, incidentally, because it's a fabulous resource for uh, for these shows. Second in the table. Yeah, Forest, Forest are actually were top. Top first versus second, so there first we are. Second, top of the table clashed at what this was. So we got beat there, Jim, but we didn't we didn't finish so well on the season. Um, we finished fifth, um, which back in those times was kind of nowhere, mate, because I think, I think only the champions got promoted out of the third division south. Uh, division three south and division three north, yeah, wasn't it? Only the, the Champ, champions went up and that. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and not... And, you didn't necessarily get relegated, was it? If two teams in the south finished bottom, then only one went down, didn't they? I don't know. Still before my time, slightly. So. Before my time. I mean, it was. Um, yeah, I mean, and it was. It was a bit of a stitch up in some senses because you had this this twin system of third division football, um, and if you finished bottom, as we did the season before this, um, we finished bottom in nineteen forty nine fifty. Um, you, mm. you had to apply to be re-elected. Um, That's a all the chairman had to, all the chairman had to go and buy all the other chairman a nice big drink to say, oh, go on, please let us play next I, year. I'm sure that went round, don't you? I mean, there must have been some handshaking going on there. Um, this season, um season we're talking about here is, is 1950-51. Um, so we were re-elected the season before. Um, so it's actually quite a, a bounce back, isn't it? But bottom of the league, 1949-50. And then this year we finished fifth. Um, mm. Crystal Palace, Jim, I noticed, had to apply for re-election in... 
1950-51. What a shame. What a shame. <laughs> we should have, we should have, the bung should have gone around and get him slung out. But anyway, um, they got well, back the in. Well, the Ron Crystal Palace bird then all them years ago, I'll still maintain that, so... <laughs> Strange old system, because mostly you always got re-elected, didn't you, back in those times? Um, and it was only quite, uh, in comparative modern times, that they had automatic transfer from the non-leagues into the Football League. But that... Wasn't it South, Southport were the last team not to get re-elected? And Wigan took their place, I think, in, what, 78, yeah. I think that was. But it was a rarity. A Cambridge came in at one point. I remember that happening. I think that was in the 70s. Peterborough as well was another one, I think, yeah. that managed to... Bribe the more chairman. But it's, I mean, it's a side point. It's interesting when you look at the modern table, especially in the League Two uh, and to a degree League One. But the kind of flow of non-league sides into and back out, you know, back out into the into the non-league is quite interesting. It never happened, did it? It was a rarity. No. Um, so clearly, it was a bit of a close shop, uh, and it, to the benefit of the Lions of previous year because we got back in. Um, so yeah, um, two nil loss there, Jim. Um, no, no scorers to report. Team, I've, again, I've lined them up four, four, two. It probably would have been something like a two, three, five, possibly, possibly uh, some initial variations. I think there was a four, three, three. Gradually, as the fifties wore along. Um, goalkeeper Ted Hinton, famous name, Ted Hinton. Ted Hinton. Uh, yeah. Um, famous fullback. Um, I think it must be George Fisher. There was this Fisher twins, wasn't there? Quite famous. Mm, yeah. Quite famous figures at the club at those times. They had very distinctive um, looks. If you ever see any pictures, listeners of the Fisher Twins, they they stand out, Jim, don't they? They had that kind of uh, sharp features and, and kind of big mops of black hair, it looks like. You wouldn't mess with them, would you? No. <laughs> they looked handy. <laughs> but I think you see any of those players, mate, they all look like they could handle themselves. Um, I suppose they've not long been through the experience of the Second World War, so um, they, they did know how to conduct themselves. So I've got a back line of Quinn, a uh, chap called Bowler, Henshaw, I don't know any of these names, and, and Fisher is one that I do know. Um, wingers, I've put uh, Johnson, uh, don't know his first name. There's Frank Neary in midfield, and he's a famous name, Frank Neary. 45 appearances and 23 goals for Frank Neary, so he's quite a standout. This was a bit of a bit of a bleak era at the Den. Um, I think we were still quite affected by war damage, you know, only oh, five, yeah. five years since the end of the Second World War. Uh, and up front, we've got Jimmy Constantine, a big name. Um, 47 appearances for the Lions and 28 goals. A chap called Morgan. I don't, I don't know. I don't know uh, Morgan at all. And a winger, Hodgetts. Again, they're not, not names. Some of these are really obscure names from that era, and it pre- predates me. Well, the, the, the Ted, oh, Ted Hinton in goal actually saved the penalty in that game as well. Did he? A penalty save? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Man- yeah, just reading. I'm just using... Um, James Murray's uh, Brilliant Lions of the South book, which is probably the best Millwall book around, I still think. And how about this for, for Millwall scouting? And, and I'll read this directly. It says, Millwall had picked up 17 out of 20 points when Port Vale visited the Den. Now, that was the game before this one. OK. Millwall took a two-goal advantage, but with 10 minutes remaining, things started to go wrong. Two terrible defensive blunders let in Vale for a draw, the worst being made by deputant goalkeeper Tony Brewer. In for Finlayson, who had a broken hand. Finlayson. He fumbled a 30-yard shot which had no pace and it bounced over the line with all the ferocity of a snail's crawl. <laughs> when he arrived at the den for trials, he came as a centre-forward rather than a goalkeeper. <laughs> and they stuck him in goal. They just stuck him in goal. <laughs> That is, that, it's funny when you do these pieces, um, and I'm sure you see it too, Jim, and you kind of look back into these ancient history games, and yet somehow it's never fucking changed, mate. It's, it's still the same rule. <laughs> Sign the centre full and put him in the goal. And then the kids of... think that they've seen it all, and yet you've got the old boys now going, yeah, that happens. <laughs> A snail's pace shot crept over the centre forward playing in goal, and uh, I don't know how many more appearances he made in goal. Uh, yeah, yeah. But Finlayson's um, a big name. Malcolm Finlayson, a major name in, in club history. Um, hmm. And Hinton's one that I've seen a few times, goalkeeper. Just looking uh, at... would, it, would it surprise you to hear that Mr Brewer, Tony Brewer, made one appearance? <laughs> no shit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it clearly couldn't have been much of a centre forward either, could he? If they stuck him in goal, it must be not... The, uh, oh, how about that? Felt to be a better option. Um... Average crowd this season, dear listeners, um, at the Den was twenty thousand. That's an average crowd. Some of the some of the attendances. I did a a separate thing for that. We're doing a, a Christmas edition of the magazine, Jim, and um, I did a 
a list of major attendances that uh, the, the Lions have played in front of. And it's it's quite breathtaking when you see some of these old school, um, you know, years. How many would cram into Coldblow Lane? 40,000 40, was was not an unusual attendance in, in the in the den at that time. Incredible. I'm just looking. Norwich Norwich City at home in October, thirty four thousand seven hundred and eighty. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, the biggest the biggest attendance at the den that season was to talk about the fifty fifty one season was a cup game, fourth round against Fulham. Um, 42,000 got into Coldblow Lane Gym. Now, you and me both remember the place well. I mean, it felt yeah. it felt tight with 15,000 in there, didn't it? Hey, I remember, you got... I remember, do you remember when, when Liverpool came down? Um, do I? Yeah. The first season of Division 1, and it was not an all-ticket game. No. Because like, it was rearranged from the, that Hillsborough game. Yeah. So it was played a few weeks after, and, and I think there was nearly 28,000 at Millwall that, and I, that was, I remember thinking, oh, there's a lot here tonight. Well, was, I've told this story a few times. I, I got there fairly late. I got there close to kickoff for that game, and I, I just couldn't get in on the halfway line, which is my regular haunt. So I managed to squeeze in, and it, well, right at the very back, I was like the last person at the Cold Blow Lane end. And um, I think we opened the scoring, if memory serves. I think we went one up. Danny Salmon scored. Salmon scored, um, and there was a crowd surge. You know, at the old school where the, the crowd would oh, yeah. sway. And um, I couldn't see a thing. I couldn't tell you a thing how, how Salmon scored. All I knew was we'd scored. And there was this crowd surge. And I was actually physically carried. I had no control over where I finished up. But I, uh, it was to my benefit because I, I couldn't see a thing at the back. And the crowd surge took me to a place where I suddenly had a really good view. There was like a little bit of space and I finished up there. And I saw the rest of the game quite um, quite well. So thank you, crowd surge. But no, that was an immense night. Um, and that must have been, well, it was tw- I think 23,000, 22,000 was the official attendance, but there's more in there, in my opinion. Oh, I'm sure there was about 27, 28. I'm just looking up now. I suppose the, the Alderton Road end would have had... 22,000. There seems to be a lot more than 22,000. That's were. on the fiddle. <laughs> on the fiddle, we're back on the fiddle. Um, <laughs> I think the technique was that you took the money at the turnstile and somehow you could re- press a pedal like a foot pedal and it, it, it wouldn't, it would turn but not re- click. I don't know how they would Must do it. Must have been a special offer: buy one, get one in free. <laughs> <laughs> so a bit of fiddle, um, but I mean, if you picture, let's let's take a conservative twenty-five thousand in there that night. Let's just be conservative, and you think how packed it was. I know they would have had part of the Alderton Road closed off for for security. But picture that double because oh, another third, and you got forty plus thousand. And what would it, would that have been like? I I can't picture it. Um, but they were not unusual attendances there, Jim. What would have been What would have been your highest crowd at, at Millwall then at the old den? Can you remember offhand? Do you reckon? Well, the fir- the very first game I ever went to uh, was nineteen seventy two. Um, there was twenty two thousand. It was but we played Portsmouth and beat them one nil, and I remember remember it well. And that was twenty two thousand, and that was my very first game at Millwall. And little did I know that was going to be the biggest attendance I would ever be in. <laughs> I mean, maybe the Liverpool game. I think there might have been twenty. Was it twenty three in the nineteen eighty eight Liverpool game? Well, that would be it then but um so that that would be the biggest attendance uh otherwise it'd be the very first match i ever attended versus portsmouth and um i was the end the kind of near miss promotion season there's twenty two thousand, um and that would be the largest speaking the biggest attendance of my life <laughs> and i didn't know it at the time i didn't appreciate it because uh, first trip to the, to the den you know what about you jim what's the biggest one you've been yeah in? i think it well see i, I was i'm obviously a, just a bit younger than you nick so i, yeah. I started in about 76 so i'm used to crowds of 2000 well you could sit on the terraces you could sit on the terraces and have a really good view at the cold blow lane couldn't you on the, on the... I know exactly where i sat i sat when I went, you know, when I first started going, it was on the um, halfway line, and it was, it was. Do you remember the remember the, the four floodlights? Yeah. The, the, the corner of the um, Ilderton Road and the halfway line. Yep. That floodlight, it used to sit on a stand. It did. And all, all us boys, at about the same age, we used to sit on the ledge watching the game. <laughs> With your legs dangling over the side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. <I'm> sure. <laughs> that was it. But that, you're right. They're, 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 I mean, some of those dread early '80s years, Jim. I mean, we were down to two and three thousand crowds. I mean, how we survived, I don't know. That would be a, probably make a good podcast in its own right another time. But um, those those were the kinds of crowds. But you compare it to these post-war um, figures. I mean, I'm looking at forty-two thousand. We played Spurs in Division Two, nineteen forty-eight. Forty-five, uh, forty-five thousand. 
in a Division Three South game against Notts County that drew 45,000 people into Coldblow Lane. <laughs> Incredible. And, of course, I mean, the record um, attendance at the, at the Den would be 1937 when uh, we played Derby in the fifth round of the Cup. Uh, 48,762 versus Derby County on the Cup run. And that was a, a great mill side that season. We, and on that Cup run... Um, I'm seeing Chelsea at home in the, the fourth round, 41,000 and um, 45,000. 45, oh, that's not to count, it's the one I just mentioned. 45,000 against Newcastle in the late 50s. That's the one with the famous image of kids sitting on the, the floodlight all the way up to mm-hmm. the top. No health and safety then, Jim. All I'm looking at is Preston North End at home on May the 22nd, 1979. Last game of the season, we were already relegated. 2,833. And that 33rd person was me. Probably the 32nd was you, Jim. I think I, I, yes. I was, <laughs> that was you and me, mate. But if we, good job we showed. I watched a bit of that as I'm 31. <laughs> there we are. Um, 1950. Back to the back to the subject at hand. Um, Nottingham Forest 2, Millwall 0. Um, the Lions, I just want to mention a name here, uh, Jim, because I don't think I've ever really covered a fairly major figure in Millwall history. And... Um, he was manager at this time, post-war. was a bloke called Charles Hewitt, Charlie Hewitt. Um, yeah, a big name. Um, and he, he kind of steered us to um, the brink of the big time before the start of the Second World War. We were third division champions, and I think we were going well under under Hewitt's management. Big personality manager. Um, um, from what I read, and again, I think this might be a, a, a something for another show, but a kind of a domineering figure, Charlie Hewitt, and a, a, a big almost um, a Sam Allardyce kind of big northern, big personality, force of, force of um, presence when he was in the room. Um. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But he managed us pre-war to some success and then post-war to less success. He, well, he, he actually, actually uh, this Lions at the Southport has actually got the whole chapter, which is titled Hewitt's Second Dynasty. Yeah, so absolutely. He's obviously um, Captain Charles Hewitt. Captain Charles Hewitt. He was a naval officer. Um, he played he, he, as a player. He'd done the rounds of. I think he played at Liverpool, Middlesbrough, Spurs as a player, and then got into into management. And Millwall and Charles Hewitt were almost like one and the same. It's one of these situations that we get a lot, where a bit like Neil Harris in some ways. Now, Jim, you know the the the, the man and the club kind of merge who's known as Mr Millwall um, yeah but we can't avoid a little bit of fiddle can we Jim um, so Charles Hewitt this huge figure his, his first period in charge to some success I, I would add listeners 1936 to 1940 so bearing in mind the Battle of Britain was on at this time um, Millwall sacked him um, for a bit of fiddle um, he, he was he was signing um, expense requests for um, 10 shillings but actually getting the, uh, the the office staff to pay him a pound and things like that. There was a series of financial misdemeanours. Um, Mr Fiddler out the carry-on. Mr Fiddler. So I just want to set the scene at the club at that time. We've got Hitler's, Hitler's at the gates. 
he's a, he's, a, he's in Calais. Um, the, 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 the ground is kind of increasingly coming under fire. Uh, Mill Football Club are worried about ten shillings um, being signed for, and, and that year he's got a quid out of it. Um, nothing changes, does it? He was sacked for that. Oh. There we are. Bless him. But he came back in in post-war. Um, major figure, uh, and I think we might do something on Charles Hewitt, Charlie Hewitt, another time there, Jim. It's, it's quite uh, yeah. I think that's a good idea because he he actually took to the tannoy. He did on his return and told the just basically told the, all the supporters there. I've been away for eight years, but like uh, <laughs> I'm not like the leopard Charlie Hewitt hasn't changed his spots. <laughs> the rousing speech he gave to the cold blow lane faithful. We probably won't in. <laughs> Sixpence or something like that. One, one, one final anecdote on Charlie Hewitt. He was sacked again in 1956. The club was on a, a really poor run, I think possibly a relegation run. Um, and one of his final... pro, He used the programme as almost like a personal medium to communicate. It's like a modern a, a, a Twitter of its time. And he, he, he put the world to rights um, in the match day programme. But when we, we got beat 6-2. I think it was Norwich. We got beat 6-2 up there. And as a means of trying to justify the team's performance, which he said was quite good, <clears throat> um, some he got some stooge to write in a letter into the club, which he published as his <laughs> column, saying how unlucky we were uh, in this 6-2 thumping. Um, and how, you know, basically, Charles Hewitt is the man to, to save the club. And no one, bought, <laughs> no one bought it, and he got sacked. And that was the end of Charlie Hewitt. Thank God there was no... Sky TV in them days. Yeah, no message boards, no no Twitter, no social media. But um, there we are, Charlie Hewitt, major figure in the in the club's history. Um, I think we'll do something on him another time, Jim, if you fancy it. Um, Korean War was on at this time, uh, and in the news, there'd just been the first jet to jet dogfight. Uh, a US jet had shot down two North Korean MiG jets um, in that in that. Um, God awful conflict. Um, Nineteen fifty. Um, so yeah, that was that was in the news at that time. I think we've probably exhausted that that fixture there, Jim. We're going to move on. We're going to play the uh, randomizer logo lick, and then we'll come back with a game that you and me were at almost certainly. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, definitely. Millwall one, AFC Bournemouth two. Welcome back, dear listeners. This is a gutty result. I think I'd remember it, actually. Um, we, we were... well, 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 let's face it, Nick. If you say to anyone, 86, 8, oh, sorry, 87, 88, Bournemouth, what game's going to come to your mind? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the one we won at the end of the season, not this one. <laughs> 30 years ago, 3rd of November, Tuesday night, a cold Tuesday night, I don't know, November 1987. In, uh, this... Was, I imagine there was probably bangers going off in the ground. <laughs> well, the, the first thing that strikes me, Jim, and I, I remember this, I mean, it's a classic season. Um, anyone that was involved in it, there are a lot of kids now, listeners um, who are young and don't don't know. We've been destitute in the early 80s um, and we were we were a little bit destitute the season before. I think we were back down to some pretty low crowd figures and Doherty had kind of assembled the basis of this side. But we weren't firing on all cylinders. Um, then there was a series of signings prior to the start of the season. So we're talking about Cascarino, we're talking about um, George Lawrence. Um, and there was just a real sense of energy at the start of this season. I don't know if you remember it, uh, Jim, but there was a... There was... From memory, wasn't this the year that we got like the compensation money for as the pulling out of the Super Den? So there was... well, instead of yeah, taking we... back decided, oh, let's go and buy some players. We spent some money. We spent some money. I think Steve Wood came in um, in central defence. <clears throat> I mean, hindsight's Kevin one... Kevin O'Callaghan came back. Kevin O'Callaghan came back. But hindsight is wonderful because, <clears throat> in hindsight, this was a fantastic season. And and so it was. But there was a there was a slight lull after the initial excitement of the signings. And this, this game here will be part of the lull. We weren't going very far, very fast at, at this point, And there's only 5,732 that's turned out for this game on a Tuesday night. And we got beat. Um, two goals for, for um, Bournemouth. So Driscoll's opened the scoring in the 51st minute. nil-nil at half-time. Cass has got us back into the game, one all. And I remember this because I thought, oh, thank Christ for that. We, 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 you know, we, were, we, we got a point at least. We'll have to settle for a point, but that's better than nothing. 82nd minute... Um, 
uh, equaliser by Tony Cascarina. What's, what's the punchline that's going to come here then, Jim? <laughs> what happens in the 89th minute? <laughs> I, was, it, was, it, was it the 89th or was it like the 91st? Because I, I seem to remember that year we had a habit conceding goals in the 91st and yeah. 92nd minute. And, and if anyone remembers Bradford at home, I'm sure it's Bradford at home that season. That was about 98th minute when Ian Ormondroyd scored. Yeah. 89th is listed. I, you could be right. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. It, it felt late, and um, it, it was that kind of gutty. It, you know, you, your world has been taken from you, and then you got just got a long trip home from from the den, Cold Blow Lane, on a Tuesday night with work next day to to think about it. 89th minute winner for um, Shearer. That's not Alan Shearer. I think that's Peter Shearer. Uh, it was a Bournemouth player. David, David Shearer. That David was. Shearer. David Shearer. David. Um, I, I actually didn't know the scorers, and I was just looking at the back of the program, and I'm thinking, "Oh, don't say Trevor Aylott scored." <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> uh, and of course, Bournemouth then were not the Bournemouth that we see in the Premier League nowadays. This was uh, still at the old Dean Court version of their ground, and um, yeah, it was a gutty, gutty loss. Tony Pulis was playing centre half for Bournemouth that day. Was he playing for Bournemouth? Wow, look at that. New team, some classic names here, um, Jim. It's got a slightly. Re- Slightly weakened look about it. I think there must have been suspensions and no, no Herlock in the side that night. Well, I think Herlock played the week before, so he, he, I think Herlock actually got injured because he was out for quite a few games after uh, right. that, that. So, which I actually didn't remember. No, uh, he, he, I mean, he missed. He must have missed about twelve, fourteen games. Just looking at this, uh, this history thing now. So. Well, I mean, injury must have played its part. So, no, no Herlock. The unused substitute that night was Steve Wood. Um, I'm, I would have thought you'd start Steve Wood. Um, but the back line there, so we've got Brian Horn in goal. What a fantastic goalkeeper he was. Um, always seems short to me, Horny. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've, see, I've, I've got a different record to you because I've got the substitute here as right. David Byrne. Have you? Well, Byrne comes into the game. Uh, yeah, and, and he replaced Steve Anthrobus. Steve Anthrobus, the trolley bus. <laughs> It will actually feature on our final bit. We're going to talk about Boo Boys, and I'm, I, I can't think of, 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 of the epitome of the Millwall Boo Boy. It must be Steve Anthrobus. Um, and, and the bus was on the wing, um, replaced by by David Byrne. Um, yeah. There's a player. And it's one of those, doing these little sections, Jim, it reminds you of obscurities, and I, I'd kind of forgotten David Byrne. Curly hair um, is what I remember. Black, black, black curly hair from memory. <laughs> It was about four foot eight, wasn't it? Precious little else, precious little else about him ever impressed. But he was here for a couple of years. Um, Sixty-four appearances for David Byrne, twelve as substitute, and and seven goals. So not quite as unimpressive as I remember. I, I, you know, beyond black curly hair, I can't really remember much about him. No, um, I don't. Nineteen eighty-six to eighty-nine, he he signed in August eighty-six. David Byrne. Um, for five thousand pound, what 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 prim twee little figure to sign a player for? Um, Did you get him from Brentford? G- Gillingham, we gave Gillingham, Gillingham. five thousand pound, um, and we released him for, on a free to to Watford in March nineteen eighty nine, um, which um, will be the end of the end of the first division season. He didn't really feature in the in the top flight. Um, it's probably um, way out of his depth at that level. Um, mm. But yeah, so he he was substitute. Sixty fifth minute, David Byrne came in for the trolley bus. Um, back line. So we've got we've got we've got um, Brian Hall in goal. Danny Salmon, who we've mentioned already. Jim, um, great player. Did you like Salmon? I, I always always had. A... I, I did, and he, I, I remember he was he was one of those players that would would always stop and talk and chat to you. Yeah. Well, so. A bit of respect for, for old Danny Salmon. Danny Salmon. Uh, he was player of the year, didn't he, as well? Do you remember? He, 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 was, he was player of the year. He was very popular. Um, and I think for that reason, possibly he was not afraid to engage with the fans. Um, and, yeah, um, player of the year. Uh, would always give you 100%. Um, was always a kind of never stopped, did he? You never, you never felt short-changed. He wasn't the greatest, but he was by no means a slacker. He was always give you everything he had to give. Middle player. It'd be, it'd be the type of player that would win the uh, the coaches award for being the ever present and always being a training. Yeah, one hundred percent player. Then uh, again, we're gonna on the other side. Um, we're gonna be another boo boy here. We're, we're gonna mention these this one name already. Nicky Coleman, very unpopular Nicky. player. <coughs> I think. We're, should we should we <coughs> move on from Nicky Coleman because I think we've got plenty to say on 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 Mr. Coleman and uh, boo boys. and others. So in central defence, Alan McCleary uh, and and um, Alan Walker, 
Um, Alan Walker, another forgotten name, really. Um, played a big part in that season, actually. Um, across the midfield, uh, Keith Stevens, I'm going to guess, was playing further forwards. Uh, Stevens took Stevens took Herlock's place. Yeah, as a kind of a midfielder. He would play in midfield, didn't he, Keith? And um, yeah. Briley alongside him. Um, that, that was Can you imagine... Could you, could you imagine these days when you had these four matches there where they play three in the middle? Could you imagine <coughs> Millwall playing Herlock, Briley and Stevens in the middle? I know uh, we talk about red cards this season, but come on. <laughs> uncompromising is the word that leaps into my head. That would be uncompromising. Um, yeah, Stevens and Briley in, in centre and um, Chicken George, George Lawrence on the on the wing. And of course, was another one of our exciting signings at the start of the season. Mm. I remember being quite impressed by Chicken George signing for us. And then what a front line, Teddy Sheringham, Tony Cascarino up front, nine and ten. Um, has, has there been a better line? I can't think of one, mate. Can you? I, I, I don't. I think that is I the. That is... Go on. I think. I think the youth of today would probably talk about the Harris Moody combination. Yeah, I. I agree, but Sheringham and Cascarino and they they Cascarino for me are the uh, yeah. that is it. I don't, I don't, I mean, you, they they proved it at the top in the top flight. Sheringham went on to we all know where he's you know what what he did. Um, and Cascarino was no slouch either. Um, no, that for me is the classic front two. Always will be. Um, so I lost this on this particular occasion. But I think we, we, we bounced back after this, Jim. I think we, we put about four or five wins together, which um, really started to get the kickstart of the season. We do, yeah. One, two, three, well, five wins, five wins in a row, but then three defeats in a row. Yeah. Typical Mill. Including a famous Simod Cup win at West Ham. The Simod Cup. Oh. <clears throat> four members, four, was it the Simod Cup or the Full Members Cup, was it called them days? No, it might be the Full Members, I don't know. I've got it Simod Cup from memory. Simod Cup. Uh, it could be wrong. And, and also, when we tried to nick the clock at Highbury. That <laughs> That's right. Season. Yeah, because we played Arsenal. That was a, that was a, talking about big crowds. I mean, that was a 40-odd thousand crowd at Arsenal. Mm. If, I, if my list is correct here, was it 1980? It was 42,000. 42,000 the old Highbury. Now, that would have been packed because that was no, it wasn't, you know, it, wasn't, it was not, a, not on the grand scale. But anyway. Um, well, that was a go. That, that wasn't all ticket either. You just turned up for that. So uh... Back to the old days. You could do that then. You could fancy going to football in the morning and get, get your mates together and, and just go up there and pay. Um, those days will never come back, but it produced some massive attendances. Team managed by by for me, Jim. I don't know if you agree with Johnny this. Doherty. The greatest number one. Number one. I can't think of anyone else that can. Well, he got oh, us into the top flight, didn't he? In that, in that spell of managing Millwall, number one. The second spell was probably not his greatest uh, time. But, uh... No, no. He, he, he was a manager. In fact, it's strange talking about Charlie Hewitt earlier on, who had a similar um, kind of. Um, Personality-driven approach. Um, the doc was um, as an old-school manager, uh, and in this spell from '87 through to when the wheels started coming off in the, th- the first division, it was a golden era, wasn't it? Um, for me, and you're of the same kind of era, Jim. Nothing will ever come close to it. I, I, you know, no. whatever we do can never come close to no. 1988. To be honest, the, the, the promotion in that first um, few months in, in, in the first division, it was a, an adrenaline ride, wasn't it? It was. Talking of managers, who was the manager for Bournemouth on this game? Was it... Um, oh, gosh, no, I haven't checked this. So this is your quiz show now, isn't it? Um, yeah, I've put it on, yeah. I've got an idea. It was... Um, was it Harry? Harry Redknapp? Was it he, was. Was it, it? Was Harry Redknapp was manager of Bournemouth. Blimey, O'Reilly. Um... Because that's where he built his reputation as a manager, didn't he? Yeah. Um, got him playing the West Ham way, which everyone loves. You know, it's beautiful to watch. Um, never wins anything, but, um, you know, it's beautiful to watch. Um, Harry Redknapp, yeah. Um, pre, pre-bung pre era, pre-tax tax claim. Such was the game. Such was the game of the time. Um, every, everyone, had, I mean, George Graham, he, 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 you know, a saviour for our club. I can never think badly of him, but of course he got done on the fiddle, didn't he? Uh, they, they were all at it. I think Brian Clough didn't quite like a bit of fiddle as well. Um, who doesn't like a bit of fiddle, Jim? Who doesn't like a bit of fiddle? There we are. Um, 8,433 was our average attendance that season, that beautiful season. Not very high, really. Um, it wasn't, but, you know, really, if you work it out, up until the end of February, we were still only getting fives, sixes and sevens. It wasn't until yeah. we went and started this little run that um, well, all no, of a sudden people 
started to come out to uh, to come and watch again. No one believed it, did they? I, 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 I think I, I remember hoping a lot that we might get close to the, um, the you know, the, the top part of the table. But I don't think anyone really started believing in it until that that kind of February March period onwards, when suddenly um, the world went crazy and suddenly we started to see that there was a possibility. Um, and then of course the um, uh, the, the win at um, Bournemouth, wasn't it? Two one win down there at Bournemouth, the reverse fixture. Wonderful days, wonderful days. Um, yeah, wonderful days. Stoke at home the following, like going towards the end of that season, but after the Bournemouth game, Stoke at home we went two, we won two nil. Yeah, and I think we we were two nil up after about a few minutes, but I'm pretty certain that Teddy scored an absolute world class goal that day, and, and no one ever remembers it. But I'm sure it was like a, well, you know what the mind does, it plays tricks on, but I'm sure it was almost like a volley from the edge of the penalty area in the top corner. I think Which I'm you're probably right. Talking about the Arsenal, but I'm, <laughs> I'm convinced that it was a, an absolute worldie. I think I think the win over Stoke. I remember. I, rem, I can't remember a goal because I, I, I think you're right. I think um, the win over Stoke kind of set us up to be promoted the following week at Hull, didn't it? Um, Hull, yeah. Um, and from memory, I, 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 all I remember is the, the moment. It was like there was a sense of disbelief, and I'd have to see. I've got the results in front of me, so I might be talking tosh here, but. Um, I think we were set up, so it was on, we were on the brink after that um, Stoke win, and there was. I think I, it was go to Hull, win at Hull, where we was going up because we won the league by four points. So um, yeah, that win at Stoke meant that all we had to do was beat Hull away. Yeah, which, uh, and that was it. It was, in, it was within our grasp. I wasn't at Boothbury Park that what that year, so no, it was. I just remember a sense of slight disbelief um, that we were on the brink of, of something so huge. Um, <clears throat> Never to be forgotten season, and uh, I, 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 I make no apologies for talking. I've spoken about it a few times, different times, different places on this show. But I think we, we can forgive forgive ourselves one more time because it's just it was a wonderful season. So there we are. Um, just uh, one more thing, a, spe- a special announce, a special shout out, Paul Waldron. If you're listening, please yeah. get in touch because you were the mascot for this game. Paul you Waldron, you're an eight year old at the time. <laughs> I wonder if he's listening. That'd be interesting. Mas- that- Paul Waldron, who used to live in boy, lived in Bexley Heath, went to Beedon World Junior School, played for long life. Favorite <laughs> player, Danny Salmond. Go on, Paul. Get in touch. Get in touch. We want to talk to you. We want to talk to you. <laughs> Mill one, AFC Bournemouth two, third of November, a cold Tuesday night in front of five thousand seven hundred. Thirty years ago. Thirty years, Jim. There you are. 30. All right, there we are. Those, those, those are our randomizer fixtures. Um, but Jim and I were having a little um, conversation. We're going to be back after the the the, the, um, the intro um, with our boo boys, favourite boo boys at the den. You're listening to Achtung Millwall. Welcome back. <laughs> this is a really wide, deep subject, um, Jim. And you've been round the track a few times at the den, same as me. Mm. And I've never quite fathomed out the, the there's, there's, there must be some kind of collective psychological process that chooses the boo boy because it's not always rational, is it? People people love to hate certain players at the den. That's right. And and, and this this came from a conversation I had that you know when when doing the uh, vast research as, as I do, <laughs> and, and in that Bournemouth program, the the, the centre spread was life. With, it was titled Life with the Lions. Yep. And, uh, the featured player was Nicky Coleman, and that that sort of made me think. Well, as I said to you on a, on a, an email, I said, yeah. was Nicky Coleman as bad? as the boo boys made it out to be because well, know, I remember it, him being booed and but it was not popular was a 16, 17 year old lad that probably got let's just say swayed by the um <laughs> my, my peers, <coughs> my peers. <laughs> i think there's a lot of that that goes on um but you're right and, and in fact uh, you messaged me about nicky comment it made me think because just coincidentally i've put on twitter you might have seen it jim uh, who's the worst mill player ever to pull on the shirt and i've got i've got massive names here but they the, the worst players don't necessarily equate to the boo boys there's no no direct correlation one one leads you to the other but nicky coleman and um five votes as the worst player ever to pull on a Millwall shirt. Now, I think that's harsh. Because you weren't that bad, you know. 
I could probably think of about 20 worse players off the top of my head. Than I've got a page full of them here. I've got a page full of them here. I mean, we're talking about names like um, Lee Luscombe and um, uh, Thierry Racon, uh, the, the Russians. Well, they weren't bad players, but, you know, it goes on. Uh, well, the Russians, you see, they, they, they eventually sort of become boo boys. But, again, <laughs> you know, if I ever go back to university, I'm going to do my thesis on were the Russians as bad as what people thought? Because... I actually thought that they were far too intelligent for that team. They were highly, highly talented World Cup Russian national side players. They were used to playing at a very different level to our, our dear little club. But they weren't the worst players. They, 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 were, they clearly liked to drink. Uh, in fact, they... they Good legs. <laughs> they loved to drink to an alcoholic level. Um, but no, I mean, I'm going to throw some other names here at you, Jim. I mean, you know, worst ever. Poor Nicky Coleman's got five votes. But I want to throw Warren Patmore at you. I want to throw Carl Viert. Um, Lee Luscombe, I've mentioned already. Uh, Jason Dare, uh, the, the Davy Sinclair. Wow. You know these. Jason Dare is pretty much my number one. <laughs> <laughs> but were they boo boys? I mean, they, they would have got abuse, but I'm not sure they were boo boys in quite the sense that see, see, you and me. Do you are remember? About. I, I seem to remember that Paul Wilkinson, yeah. pretty rubbish, but I'm pretty certain he was a boo boy as well. I, I, it, it always thinks like you know when they read out the team and like. And number nine, Paul Wilkinson. And is that collective? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just on that on that point, Tony Craig is when he he stepped in last week um, in the defeat against Burton at home, um, and because you know um, uh, the defender, what's his name, uh, the young boy, uh, Jake Cooper, has, has uh, got sent off. So Tony Craig stepped into the breach. Now Tony Craig, as we know. Bleeds blue, doesn't he? He's a mirror boy. He's, he's, he's a solid defender of limited means. But, you know, and there was that collective, uh, when Tony Craig gets picked. And you, you hear people booing him in the fucking crowd, Jim. I don't get it. Um, a more committed player, I, you know, I, I don't think you can you can think of. But um, for some reason, there's a kind of a, a collective decision that <laughs> you can boo your own people, you know. So so, so when you were going in the, in like the early 70s, was there a boo boy in the 70s then? Well, the one that I've written, I've, I've written, I've just, it's very random, and, and other listeners out there, by all means, um, let me have your boo boys. My first boo boy that I remember, and I, I was quite taken aback, so I was very young, I was only 12, um, going to Coldblow Lane, um, was the bloke called Derek Smethurst. Um, most unpopular player, um, and it was always getting slated, and pe- people were always digging him out. Um, and I'm, I think I think he was a confidence player. And for some reason, I think if they smell weakness, Jim, at the den, they almost mm, lat- there's, there's a fear yeah. fear of latching onto weakness, isn't there? And I think Smethurst's form was affected by the abuse. Um, he didn't like it. Um, who can blame him? <laughs> and, and I think I th- I, he was an ex Chelsea man, I think he was a South African player, kind of like an attacking midfield wing come winger, but he wasn't popular and got slated. Another player that I've also written down on here who was more of a local lad, and I remember seeing him um, tell a fan to um, go forth and multiply because of the abuse he was getting, was a bloke called Steve Brown. Older, older listeners may remember Stevie Brown. Um, another boo boy. No one liked him. He didn't like them. Um, but he was. I think he was a Bermondsey, Bermondsey boy. And but I think there's just this mutual hatred for you know. It must be in the blood, mustn't it? You know, hate, hate, hates your starting point. Um, so yes, yeah, Derek Smethurst and Steve Brown. I've written some other names on here. Uh, you, you might remember Phil Barber. Phil Barber. Um, who are Phil Barber? Who are Phil Barber? He wasn't. Not that bad. Bad, you but, know, but was he popular? He wasn't popular. Was he? Oh, he wasn't popular. Well, he signed him from Palace, so that doesn't help, does it? You know, so, it doesn't uh, help his course. Um, but he wasn't that bad, and I thought he was. It was, was a moderately useful midfielder. It, it was a kind of a. It, it never, it never get into your best all time eleven. No, but I, no, I wouldn't put Phil Barber in my worst all time eleven. But a little bit like Nicky Coleman. Uh, Nicky Coleman played in a good side at, at the end of the season. That was a good side, a successful side. And Phil Barber played in the kind of early 90s, Bruce Rioch going into the, the early phase of Mick McCarthy. And there was some really... I mean, he was part of McCarthy's diamond, wasn't he? Yeah. He was like quite a pivotal point of that on that left-hand side, I think, from memory. And in some ways, Jim, I mean, I, I'd say it's some of the best football I've ever seen played at Mill in, in terms of technically, the technical approach, the passing style. It was, it was quite, it was quite surprising. And you go back to that team and then you talk about, but how many people voted for Mark Falco? Well, he got named. Uh, Mark Falco got one one vote as as the worst ever player. Well, whoever that one was 
good on you. <laughs> apart, um, apart, from, apart from him taking the Port <laughs> the part away when he scored twice, and I thought I'll never ever say that again. No, what no. What did Mark do? Uh, he drew a wage. He drew a wage. That's probably what it is. He drew a wage. He was overweight and slow, <laughs> but he still managed to outpace the Port Vale defence, and I'll never forget that. Um, other boo boys, I've got listed. David Livermore, Player of the Year in... in um, well, and, got, and he got booed as he was Player of the Year. <laughs> I, 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 I remember, some of you probably realised that, you know, many years ago, I was on the, I was on uh, part of the uh, supporters club. Yeah, yeah. I think that's another conversation. That's another conversation, mate. Yeah, we could, we'll save that for another show. I, I remember at the end of the season, they're trying to collect the votes. And <laughs> I was in the West Lower. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at the, um, you know, at the part of the, that's closest to the away end, just outside the turnstiles, trying to get people's votes. <laughs> and I, it wasn't the greatest of seasons. No. And Relegation I, season. I, if only I had a pound for every person that told me, player of the season, go and get... <laughs> or go to, Go full for multiply. Go for multiply. <laughs> and, uh, and people were coming up to me and saying, oh, we've got to vote for Livermore because he's just shit. <laughs> There's a reverse logic. I thought we were all reverse logic to that, isn't there? Um, yeah, we're reverse. But we managed to, managed to flog in the leads on that. But on the strength of it, but again, I'm going to I'm going to be devil's advocate. I'm going to be Livermore's advocate here, Jim. Um, I don't think he was that bad a player. He was he was an industrious, limited midfielder, um, Mr. Awkward, a breaker up of play, a bit like Jimmy Abdu in some ways. And yet, Jimmy Abdu yeah. is lauded, isn't he? You know, he's one of our own. But Livermore never made it and um, was was a boo boy. Um, I've written down some other names here. Um, I've got I've got uh, Alan Dunn. Alan Dunn. Um, would often draw the ire of a crowd. I mean, he, he, there's a strange kind of double side to um, the, the Millwall and Dunn. He's both loved and hated all in one, wasn't he? Um, it was, it was, uh, some people it, didn't take to him. But Alan Dunn was brilliant for five minutes, and usually for 85. <laughs> but that five minutes of brilliance, you, you just don't remember. Again, but then he was mucked around, wasn't he? What, centre-half, right-back, right-wing, centre-midfield... I think he, he was never really forgiven for being Bertie Big Bollocks when I think Cholton were interested in him at one point when in his earlier days. And there was talk of him going to the Premier League and it never materialised. And I think everyone kind of held a grudge against him ever since. Um, but no, I mean, you know, there's, there's a, there's, you know, I, I don't know how many appearances he's made. He's certainly up there with some of the greats in, in terms of appearances. Uh, but never, never, never truly, truly loved. Um some other names here for you, Jim. Um, I mean, Peter Anderson, um, <laughs> manager and player manager. Was that he was in your time, mate? You remember Peter Anderson? Yeah, oh, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Anyone that was around in the well, all, all three thousand of us that were there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not sure he's quite a boo boy. He was just a figure of a figure of abuse rather than a boo boy. Yeah, I think I think the essence of the boo boy is that you've got to actually have some talent, and for some reason, Millwall fans don't often take well to talented players. Um, and, and we've mentioned um, Steve Anfrabus, who was pretty useless. But he, he, there was—I always felt with Anfrabus, there was a glimmer of something in there, but just couldn't ever get out. And the den—the den was not the place he was ever going to get out, was it? Steve Anfrabus scored goals at every other club. That yeah. Playful. Well, on that on that note, Steve Anfrabus, we've mentioned. I'm also going to throw in John Marquis, um, who's scoring. Um, it must be a burden playing at the den. I mean, he's a Millwall fan, John Marquis. Nice boy, mm. apparently. But and there must be a burden to it that. Um, you know, it squelches you, and, and you and you go go somewhere else, and suddenly it takes off. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a more dread name than John Marquis and in Lewis Graben, um, who again was never popular at the Den, but has gone came from on, Palace. Came from Palace, but not a bad player, and has gone on to success. I think he's playing for Sunderland at the moment, so they're not having a successful season. But he's he's made a career and scored. Um, a boo boy though. No one's ever gonna like Lewis Graben at the Den. Um, he cannot be popular ever. Wasn't popular with us. Um, Bobby Bowery. Oh, I, I was waiting for. <laughs> I was waiting for Bowery and Newman. Ger- Gerard, Gerard Lavin as well. Newman, Gerard Lavin, and Bobby Bowery. That was that was a particular. Ger- Gerard yeah. Lavin was a boo boy, but I think he sort of turned the the crowd onto his side towards the end there. Yeah. 
It wasn't. But, it, it wasn't that bad. It was. It was a very poor era, wasn't it? I mean, the whole the whole scene at the den at that time was. Um, I think the problem with Laddie was what didn't they spend like half a million on him and then he was injured, so that never goes down too well. No, no one likes injured players. <laughs> if you spend half a million on a player, we expect him to score five or six goals in their first game. We expect him to come go and try and get on with the crushes. They were. We weren't going to see total commitment. None of this kind of um, injury table business. Um, Bobby Barry. Bobby yeah, Barry. He, uh, was, he was a useless player. I mean, he was no good, was he? I mean, he was. He, he just ran around, pointing, didn't he? And running around in circles um, to no great effect. I, I, I remember. I remember when uh, when the, the, the new den was first opened, and I sat in the west lower, and there were three three old boys behind me uh, <laughs> sitting there. And I think the term they used, Bobby Barry, that he was powder puff. <laughs> powder puff. <laughs> That's probably a good description of him. <laughs> And if you imagine that these three old boys, they, they were probably older than, uh, what, is it Waldorf and Stadler? In, in the <laughs> <laughs> that's what we need. Powder Puff, Bobby Barry. I'm just in the, in the current team. Hey, I, mean, Bobby, I will give Bobby Barry some credit. Burnley away absolutely ran the show when we beat them up there. I think we won 2-1 or 2-0. And he run the show that night. Do you mean uh, I missed the one game where he ran the show? I wasn't at that game. And I, missed oh, it. I, I think I was working in Manchester, so it was like an hour's journey or something. And uh, <laughs> he, he absolutely ran the show up there. So. I, have a name I was for... one of the 75 that watched that game. <laughs> Aidan O'Brien um, in our current side, um, I think he's a talented player. He's a goal scorer. But again, he draws he draws the flack at times. People almost want to, want to, they want to, um, want to find fault with Aidan. And I think that's, I don't know if you've got any other names on your list there, Jim, but um, there's, there's a common thread in that um, there are some players that are not forgiven. For some reason, some players can be forgiven anything and other players get no forgiveness whatsoever. And I think Aidan sometimes falls into that that category. Strange. I've, never, I've actually never seen Aidan O'Brien play play live. I've only seen what I see on the, uh, TV, on yeah. the TV over here, which, which you know, I, I do get to see all the, uh, all the games are shown live over here. So, um, yeah. You know, I've seen more games this year than I have for a long time. So, um, but um, yeah, Aidan O'Brien. If I know, I've seen him once when I came over a couple of years ago, and um, he, I think he scored a cracking goal. He's, he, he, I, I, he, he always <coughs> had a lot of promise, didn't he? Because he's been around for years. Uh, funnily enough, I've just written another random name and I was, I was scribbling down some other boo boys, and right next to AOB, I've got Andy Keogh, another another player that always seemed to be promising. <laughs> Promising something and never delivering anything. Um, maybe that's the common. Com- the Perth Glory captain. There we are. <laughs> Perth Glory. <laughs> I watched Andy Keo play a couple of weeks ago, and he is uh, interesting. He's interesting. We'll leave it there with Andy Keo. So that's 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 the boo boys of the den, dear listeners. If you can think of any other boo boys that you'd like. Maybe Jim and I to to talk about in the future. Please do. We're always up for um, a Skype conversation, and it's good to cover these old games. Um, big thank you, Jim. It must be it must be what about eight o'clock out there now in Perth? Um, yeah, just gone just gone eight o'clock. So it's uh, time to open up another bottle of red wine. I think. Enjoy, mate. Enjoy. Have another have a drink. Um, big thank you to Jimmy Webb for coming on the show this week. It's much appreciated. International break, and this is uh, this is make a nice show. So many thanks, Jim. We're going to do this again soon. I hope, mate. I hope so, Nick. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Fantastic. You've been listening to Octoon Millwall, the CBL Magazine podcast. That's the Millwall News this week, and we are out of here. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.